Genesis chapter 28. And what we do on Wednesday night, as you know, as we study verse by verse, we're in 20, chapter 28 of Genesis. So open your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew rack under the seat or in the back. Grab a Bible, get the word in front of you. Real important to open the Bible up there to chapter 28. We're in a new series. As we move through Genesis, we kind of see the main characters, the creation, the first 11 chapters, and then Abraham. We studied the life of Abraham and the man Abraham. And now we're looking at the man Jacob. All of these characters are important for you to know as you study the rest of the Bible, understanding uh, this is how God is planning to bring his promised seed, Jesus, through these Jewish people who really aren't a people yet, as we're studying Jacob, but out of this, these people, uh, Jacob is the man that we're studying. We find out in our study last week, and we're in the early, early chapters of his life, and we're learning that he's just really a, a, a very um, a young man in terms of his spiritual growth. He's, his brother uh, Esau was a zero uh, Jacob is very immature. He really doesn't know much. Uh, we don't have the background on why, but we do know his name. When he was born, he was named Heel Catcher, and, and we've come to discover that his name kind of reveals his character. The name Heel Catcher in the Hebrew means trickster or con man, and that's who he is. He's a con man. And we're going to see him in his later years. I mean, he's getting older. Finally, he's going to move out of the house. But he's been hiding behind his mom's apron strings. He, he, he's really an interesting study when you look at his life. These two uh, men that are born to uh, Isaac and Rebecca. But uh, very interesting, uh, this family, they're so upside down. They're so deceitful in all that they do. They, they're manipulative in, in, in the way they do everything. Similar to their father and, and grandpa, we have uh, these men, Abraham, who lied, remember, about his wife a couple of times, you know, telling the king a lie. And then, and then we move to uh, his son, and, and uh, Isaac lied about Rebekah. And now we have Jacob. Jacob has already conned his brother Esau, we learned last week in chapter 27, out of his birthright. He lied to him. He lied to his dad. Who are you, my son? Remember, he's old and he's blind. Who are you, my son? And, and his mom had made these goat skin gloves and an outfit for him to disguise him. And just a manipulative, deceitful family. And that's where he's coming out of. And that's the point here. Again, we can identify with these characters because they really are like us. And he's going to grow. He's going to grow. And God's grace and God's mercy, God is going to develop this man. He's going to turn this, this kind of spiritual nothing, zero, into something. And just as he does in our life with his grace and mercy, we grow too. So that's how we, we view him. We see him growing and we're at the early stages really, of his life and his spiritual walk. But we're going to see something. He's going to encounter the Lord tonight, which is, or God's going to encounter him, I should say. But really, a wonderful story. So uh, let's ask God's blessing and a word of prayer with your Bibles open tonight. Father, thank you for the word. I just thank you that we have the opportunity to come to your word tonight freely, to read it. And from each of the passages, each verse, Lord, that we read, the story is unfolding to us. The greater story, 
your love for us and redemption, your plan of salvation for man. But in this particular story here about uh, Jacob, uh, learning as he grows, Lord, I pray that we would draw from this story application for our lives tonight, today. Whether we're lonely tonight and we see this man lonely or or we're spiritually just growing and, and we identify him in that way, I just really pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us these words that, that you've recorded for our behalf and benefit. So we come to your word tonight, believing it's truth, and we ask God that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in chapter 27, you'll remember it was Rebecca the wife of Isaac, who's the real manipulator. And she was the biggest loser in that chapter because even though she tried to, to deceive her husband, lying to him, dressing her son up, you know, and, and telling him, now you got to lie to dad. You got to do the wrong thing here. And she ends up losing both of her sons. She only had two she loses both of her sons. She thinks she's going to see her favorite. She had her favorite son, Jacob, but she loses both of them. Esau moves off to the deserts of Edom, and Jacob moves away. He's, he'll, he'll be gone, and he'll, she'll never see him again. So she ends up being the really the, the biggest loser of all. Now, <clears throat> we're going to see in this story that, that uh, uh Jacob is going to go to Haran. He's, he's going to go 300 miles, and I don't have a map tonight, but you'll hear the Padem or Haram. That's Haran. That's 300 miles. Remember, that's the original place that, that Abraham and his father Terah, they, they went from Ur of the Chaldees way down, which would be modern-day Kuwait, and they went up the, that uh, fertile valley, the Nile, or the... Uh, uh, Gee, I can't remember my geography, but they went up. It's called the Fertile Crescent. If you look in the Middle East, you see that the, the rivers that converge and come all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea. And so they went up all the way to Haran, which would be way up above Syria in uh, modern-day Turkey. And that's where they started. That's where he's going to go because that's where the family is. So we'll see him go there again. But uh, this man, Jacob, he's a con man. He's been lying all this time. He deceives his father with a kiss, as we recall from last week. And now we're going to see how God is going to develop him into a man that has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. It's hard for us to realize that at this point in time in his life. But God is going to take this ordinary person, this sinner, and with God's choice, his mercy, his grace, he's going to develop him into quite a man. And that's what we're to learn, I, I truly believe. So this is how God shapes him, this con man into a father of a nation. That's what we're going to see over the next few chapters. But we begin here in verse 1. Isaac sends Jacob away. He sends him away here in verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. And he charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Aram, or Haran, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, Isaac is giving these specific instructions to Jacob, saying, I, I want you to take a wife specifically 
not from Canaan. I don't want you to take a wife from Canaan. That was God's specific uh, rule to Abraham. And he doesn't want uh, the people to come from Canaan because they're, they're an idolatrous people. And so he's chosen this family. And so Isaac is telling his son that I don't want you to marry one of the daughters of the local, these local women here in Canaan. And the reason why was because of the blessing that God had given Abraham. It's being passed off, and we're seeing it kind of come into view in these, these, uh, this chapter here. The blessing of Abraham, and Isaac warns Jacob not to take a, a wife from these daughters here in Canaan. And that's what his brother Esau did, as you recall. Now, we don't have uh, any record of... Isaac and Rebekah training their kids spiritually. We don't really know what they told them. We don't know if Esau was being totally deliberately disobedient to his parents. I kind of believe that Isaac had told his sons, but we just don't have that uh, in the record. But Isaac, very interestingly, it was, um, or pardon me, Esau. Esau deliberately married the women from that area And that's important. Go back to verse 46, the very last verse of chapter 27. And and this kind of gives us a running start really on the story. It was Rebekah, verse 46, chapter 27, that said to Isaac, her old blind husband, she says this, I am weary of my life. I don't even want to live anymore. Why? Because the daughters that Esau, these these Hittite daughters, these Canaanite women that, that uh, Esau has married, and they're in my home, and I, I, I just want to die. That's what she's saying. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like those who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be? I just want to die. That's really what she's saying there. Now, remember, Rebecca is, is like she's a manipulator. She's manipulating in doing this. It sounds like it when you put it in that context. She's saying, I'm just going to die if you don't do this for me. You know, I'm going to kill myself. It's like she's holding you know, a razor blade to her wrist almost, right in front of I mean, he can't see anything, but she's threatening to, she just can't live anymore. This, life isn't worth anything if, if her son Jacob would marry the daughters of that, that land. So really interesting. She's just twisting and she's manipulating her husband here. And I'm sure none of you ladies manipulate your husbands, right? We, we don't do that. We know that's the wrong thing to do in any relationship. But, but learn something from God's word, ladies, and, and men too. We, we're not to manipulate one another. We're to speak the truth in love. We're to be kind to one another. And, and husband is to lead a wife, and a wife is to be submissive to her husband. That's what the scripture says. Not always easy to do, but to manipulate your husband or to manipulate someone else for your own gain is always wrong. Now, her name, Rebecca, and, and uh, you know, if your name's Rebecca here tonight, you know, no offense given, but really in the Hebrew, it's Ribka. Ribka, it's been translated Rebecca. Her name actually means to trap or to capture. If you look up her name in the, the Hebrew, it means to set a net. She, she's setting a net. Haven't we seen that in her life? She set net, nets all over, and her son, the con man, the hill catcher, he, he plays right up to his name as well. But it's here in verses 3 to 5 that we get this transferal of Abraham's blessing. Notice what happens here in verse 3 in chapter 28. May God bless 
Or Almighty God bless you, Isaac is blessing his son, and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac, verse 5, sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So again, this, this is part of the birthright that Esau despised. Remember, he didn't want his birthright. He could care less about it. He despised it, the Bible says, over a meal of pottage or food. He, he wanted that bowl of stew. And so he just disregarded his birthright. And it's Jacob is the one, remember, he's the he is the younger. The birthright should have gone to Esau, but, but God chose, God uh, providentially, God in his sovereignty chose the younger. And here we have the birthright going on to Jacob, and he's going to carry on God's promise. The promise you can read about in Genesis 12, the first couple of verses, the whole promise, God's promise for land, for people, and that blessing to the nations. That's, that's the promise of Abraham. Now again, just to show you how disobedient and corrupt Esau is, uh, we get that that last detail here. Notice what Esau does, and this is just kind of thrown in here, I think, for you to understand who he really is. Esau, verse 6, saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padaram to take himself a wife from there. So he's thinking now, um, you know, I, 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 I'm hearing my father give instruction my father's, I've been my father's favorite. He's always given me instruction. Now he's given instruction to Jacob, whom I'm, I want to kill him right now. Remember, he's mad. He wants to kill his brother. And so he hears this blessing, and that he has blessed him and gave him charge, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So Esau hears that. So we're not really sure what he heard in the past, but now he hears it. And verse 7, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padaram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So, notice what he does. Esau went to Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? That's his, that's his stepbrother, right? He goes to Ishmael and, he, and took um, Mahaloth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nahaboth, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he has. So Esau is trying to look good in his father's eyes. I mean, it's a, it's a, a lot too little, way too late, right? He's trying to obey his dad, finally, after all the blessings been given, after everything's been done. Now he's trying to marry a woman that's not a Canaanite. It's actually a family member. Uh, Ish, one of Ishmael's, uh, daughter of Ishmael there, uh, but a non-Canaanite woman. So he's trying to be obedient a little bit there by marrying this, this non-Canaanite woman here, the daughter of Ishmael. Is, uh, Esau thought he was going to uh, please his mother and his father. His, his dad's going to be pleased, and maybe his dad will bless him finally. He's trying to, again, he, he's manipulating. He, he's not doing it because he loves her. He's not doing it for any other reason, but he, he finds this woman that's not a Canaanite. He knows where to go to find her, obviously, and he's trying to please his father. 
But in doing what he's doing here, it's the very thing that his grandfather Abe did uh, when Abraham and Sarah devised the plan to use Hagar and in the flesh help God out. Remember the whole story. That Hagar and Abraham, Abraham using the flesh to try to work God's plan out, which wasn't God's plan. Instead of trusting the Lord and waiting for the promised son, they rushed out ahead and did their own thing. And, and now it's this kind of the same thing. Esau's doing the same thing. He's, he's going to try to manipulate and work this out. So he goes and finds a non-Canaanite woman just to win the approval of his father. Just another dismal failure in this man's life. And again, the, the truth here is that we as believers have to wait and trust on the Lord. Whatever this situation is, we have to wait and trust in the Lord. We can't try to manufacture something in the flesh, try to manipulate somebody or work it out on our own. We have to, we have to trust the Lord. Is that not hard to do, Christians? That's just one of the hardest things we'll ever do. And through the hardships and difficulties that we face in our daily life, weekly, yearly, God is, is shaping us and molding us and helping us. He'll give us that victory. We just have to wait on him, but it's so hard to do. I mean, I, I'm going to raise my hand and say it's just hard to do. It's hard for me to do. And that's, that's the truth here. He's trying to manufacture something in the flesh just like his grandpa. Now, going back to Jacob, mama's boy here, he's going to start this journey. It's like 300 miles north. Uh, he's, it's the first time he's been out of the kitchen. I mean, remember, he, was, he liked to cook. So he's going to go outside. Who knows if he ever camped before? And he, he's going to start this long journey all by himself. He's, he's on his own now. And he starts this long journey in foreign territory. He's going to a pagan city away from his family, you know, where we, we actually believe there was some semblance of, of, of religion and love for God and devotion and worship there. So he's going to leave now, and he's going to go all the way to uh, Padaram or Haran. And uh, very interesting here, the first night, the very first night that Jacob, he doesn't go into town. He gets there late, and he's kind of afraid. He doesn't go into the city. He, he, he just kind of bunks outside, finds a rock, lays it on the phone, puts his head on a rock, and, and goes to sleep. That's what we're going to see. And that's when God meets him in a dream. And this is where you've heard this story, Jacob's Ladder, right? Jacob's Ladder. I'm calling it Jacob's Stairway to Heaven because that, that's what we're going to see here. But in verse 10, notice, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. That's a wise thing to do. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put his head or put it at his head, and he laid down in that place, and he went to sleep. Then he dreamed, and in his dream, behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top, it reached up to heaven. And there were angels of God that were ascending and descending, going up and down on this ladder. Now, there's a, there's a lot of application, a lot of interesting thoughts about this ladder and this story. Uh, but I believe that God is bringing Jacob to a place in his life where he's going to break him. And we're going to see God break Jacob later. He's going to wrestle with him and break his leg. But he's starting to do it right now. 
And God wants to break through into Jacob, this manipulating con man. He wants to get to him right away. And he's alone, right? He's in the desert. He's got his head on a rock. And so God is now coming to him in, a, in this dream, and he's going to challenge him. He's going to help break him down. And again, for us, we could apply this to maybe you're a college student, you're going away from home for the first time, or, or I remember when I got married, I was 20 years old, I left my home, my parents, and my wife left her home, her parents, and we, you know, I bought this little house right down the street here off of Baseline, and that was our home, and I saw some pictures of it the other night, it was, a, we got the slide projector going, you know, the slides, remember slides? And we got the slide projector going at a family thing, and, and I saw these pictures of my old house, and I was like, whoa, because we've been married 40 years now. And so I'm looking at this house going, this is crazy, you know, just to see this thing. But when you first do something, marry, go to college, leave, you, you find yourself kind of alone. You're, you're in an unfamiliar territory. You're in, that's where Jacob finds himself here. Maybe you're a, a new Christian at a new church. You don't, you don't know anybody. And you feel alone. And that's really, I think, the first point here. He feels alone, and God is going to come and meet him. He's going to come face to face there. And by his grace and by his mercy, I love how God is so gracious. He is gracious in my life. I know he's gracious in yours. But here we get another picture of his wonderful, wonderful grace. But it's a real strange dream. Notice the dream here in verse 13. And behold the Lord. He stood above it above the ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Remember, it was Abraham who walked. Wherever you walk, this land is going to be yours. Now, um, Jacob is laying on the ground, and, and God speaks to him and said, this land is yours. I'm going to give it to you. This is my promise that I promised your grandfather there. And he says in verse 14, also your descendants shall be as dust of the earth. So there's going to be a lot of descendants from you. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's exactly the same covenant that Abram, or Abraham got from the Lord. So this is the same covenant. This is just kind of repeating the covenant. We've gone from Abraham to Isaac. And, and Isaac isn't dead yet, by the way. He's still alive. He's just blind and he's old. And now it's going to go to Jacob. And even though he's a con man and he's a conniver and he's a manipulator, God's chosen him. And God's not going to give up on him. Again, there's great hope there for you and me. that God never gives up. And it's through his grace and mercy that he develops a person, a man, a woman, a, ch a, a teenager. God is going to develop you and make you into something. He has a plan there. And verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So there's the Lord. He's speaking. He's saying, I'm going to do this. You can trust me. I, I, I'm, I'm in charge here. Then... Verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And I was, or he was very afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob, he wakes up, he's scared to death. Number one, he had an encounter with God. 
Now, all through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when anyone has an encounter with God, they say the same thing. It's normally, whoa, that's what you hear. Whoa, whoa, I'm dying, I'm done. I'm, I can't stand before a holy God. We see it in, in different encounters. But he has this encounter with God, but he sees this ladder. He's fearful. He, these are things he's never seen before. So he has an encounter with God, brings fear, which is a good thing. Then he sees this ladder with these angels going back and forth, up and down. And I believe this dream is about God is now reaching out to Jacob. And God is revealing some things. And here's my point. I'm going to go to my next point here. God is revealing some specific things about himself. Let's go to that little next subtitle, this next subgroup. God is revealing some things about himself. Okay, this is what, this is what God is revealing here. Number one, he is working. I want you to see this again. This is important. Here's our application, really, in this long narrative that we're reading. Verse 13, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be the dust of the earth. So he gives them this, this whole same prophecy, same covenant that he has given to Abraham. So here you have this young man hiding behind his mother's apron strings. Now he's out on his own, but God is working in his life. God is doing this wonderful work here. God is preparing him. He's in the wilderness. You know, sometimes you feel that way when God's working on you. You feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're in the wilderness. And, but God has a purpose for his life. And this ladder, this ladder is really interesting. It's, it's a ladder that's got angels that are, that are ascending and descending, the scripture says here. And what that has to do with is you have God at the top and man at the bottom. And then you have the messengers, the angels. They're coming down to see what's going on. They're reporting back to the Lord. They're coming down to, to take prayer requests, whatever it might be, and take it back to the Lord. It's just there's, a, there's this continuity between God and man on this ladder through the angels, through the messengers. That's, that's what we're seeing here. They're bringing God's answers. They're showing people provision. And when you look at angels in the New Testament, they're, they're very interesting uh, people, uh, characters. They're, they're superhuman. They are ministering spirits, the Bible says. All of us have these angels that are ministering, and they're doing things that, God's, that God wants done. And so Jacob sees this ladder, and he sees the angels going up and down. And so God is showing him that God has this plan. He's gonna, he's, he wants this relationship with man. I mean, where have we heard this before? Throughout the Bible, you'll see these themes that come up again and again. God's heart for man. He's in heaven. Man is sinful on earth. And, and there's, a, there, there's a gap there. In this case, it's a, a ladder. But we see a, the bridge is Jesus Christ and the cross, right? Between God and, and sinful man. And so here we have this vision. The second message I believe that God was communicating here to Jacob, number two is he is always available, that God is always available. Number one, God is working. He doesn't leave us the way we are. And then number two, he was always available. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. God is always available. And I love this about God's speaking to Jacob here and revealing to him that he's always present, that he's not going to leave him, that he's not going to forsake him. Again, where have you heard that before? 
This is the same God that we know in the New Testament, the Old Testament, same God. It's wonderful as you read through the scriptures that you see those similarities. When you're reading the Bible, you should see those. The more you're familiar with the scriptures, the more you'll see those similarities. But again, God is revealing this theological truth about who he is, that he is omnipresent. He's always present in all places at all times. The Father omnipresent. Jesus, the Son, omnipresent. We also have the uh, omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus was singularly, monoly present when he was a man. He was all God, but he was in, in the form of a man when he uh, came and lived on this planet and died for our sin. But Jesus, the Bible says, is in you right now. The Bible says that. He's in you. And I don't know if you made sense out of this, but the Christians in Australia, the Christians in Europe, the Christians in, and down in Africa, they have as much of Jesus as you do. He's omnipresent. But that, that's what he's talking about. God is always there in this, this text here. He's always available. He's present everywhere. We're never outside his domain. Jesus told the disciples, here's a little proof text, Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That was Jesus' promise to his disciples. I'll never leave or forsake you, Hebrews says. So sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel like we're way out there. But we've never been alone. We're never outside of God's domain. We're never alone. Number three, the other thing that we learn here is that God tells Jacob that he will be with him until he fulfills his promise. He's not going to leave him. He's not going to leave the work undone. Now, does that remind you of, of something as well? Here's the scripture behind me, Philippians 1.6. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He's not going to leave you a partial Christian. There's no partial salvation you are completely saved. You just have to grow and mature. And as you grow and mature, God has a goal. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's painful when he takes us through these places to shape and to mold us. Again, I say amen to that. You go through these things and then go through hardships. But God is working. God has a plan. He is going to complete the work. And God's mercy is now confronting this, this manipulating con man Mr. Heel Catcher Jacob, and he's, he's confronting him, and he's showing him, but it's God's mercy, and he's telling him, I'm committed to you. I'm going to make this work. I have a plan. For my glory, I have a plan. I have a purpose for you, and I believe that's true of all of God's children as well. The fourth truth God communicates about himself in this little section is he's made a way. I love this. The ladder. The ladder. There's a way to God. There's a, there's a way there. God's provided the bridge or the ladder. Even though man has sinned, God has made a way. God has provided his very own son. Last week, uh, Sunday night, when I taught in Isaiah 53, and then just, just working our way up to Easter and considering all that Jesus did on our behalf, his substitutionary atonement, his dying on the cross for my sin, for our sin taking the sin of the world there on the cross and the father turning away from him for that moment when, when he died there on the cross with our sin and paid our ransom so that we might have salvation. 
It's an incredible and beautiful truth. God has made a way. So here's this ladder. Jacob sees the ladder. He's got fear. He doesn't know what it is. But really, God is showing him these things, this access to heaven through the, the angels that are going to go back and forth, back and forth as messengers. And again, the Bible tells us that we have to believe in God's Son, that there's only one way for salvation. Not a lot of different religions uh, that will lead you there, not being good, not being religious itself, but there's only one way to be born again, and that's through the person, Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said. Here's a reminder of John 14, 6. Jesus said this. Look at how exclusive this claim is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's made a, a bridge. God, there's a stairway. There's a, there's a way to God. In, in, in the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ. He's the bridge. He's the stairway. But for Jacob, it's this vision here. Now, I don't know how much Jacob knew about God. We, we just aren't given a lot in the Scripture here. We're going to know more about him as we move forward. We just don't know about his previous um, spiritual training or instruction. But Jacob does understand one thing. In this situation, when he has this dream and he gets fear from the Lord, he knows one thing. I'm not going to manipulate God. I cannot con this man. He, he, he's going to realize that. And I believe that's what God is showing him here. He's lived his whole life being like that. His mom taught him to be that way. Interesting parents. Think about that mom and dad or grandparent. You don't want to be a bad example to your child. He'll grow up to be a con man. And in this case, we have this opportunity, or he has this opportunity, now facing God to turn away from those things and stop being this manipulator. So he wakes up. He's afraid. He, he know, and notice what God does. We're going to go back here to my points. Jacob worships God, verse 18. He's going to worship God. Look at verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and took the stone that he had put at his head. This is after the vision, after the dream, after he's had this fear. He wakes up, and he's going to do something now. Notice, he sets the rock that he had his head on only as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. Now he, so he has a little spiritual instruction. He's, this is kind of a, a worship. He's worshiping God. And he pours oil on the rock, verse 19, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had previously been Luz. But he, he's renaming this place. He's calling it Bethel. So he wakes up. He's afraid. The first thing he says is, surely the Lord's in this place. I mean, that's what he says there. And then he says, how awesome is this place? He, he's got a fear of the Lord. He, he realizes he's in a special place, that he's on holy ground, that, that God has met him in that place. And here's the... The, the application or the truth of this story here. When, when you're in God's presence through worship, through reading in the word, through prayer time, big, going off somewhere and just praying, and you're in the presence of God. When you're in that place where you're actually in the presence of God, you'll be like, Jacob, how awesome is this place? God is here. I'm meaning God here. And I've heard stories and, and I've had experiences myself where you're just close to the Lord and, and, and you just have this feeling of just wholeness and ecstasy and, oh, you're just in love with the Lord. 
And I believe that's the place that he is. He's, he's in this place. It's holy ground here, similar to Moses in the burning bush. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord in the temple, the, the, the glory filled the temple. These, there, there are encounters like that in the scriptures, the disciples. In the book of Matthew, they went with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder. They went with Jesus up to the mount. They get to the mount, and God, Jesus, the eternal God, he reveals his glory. His face starts shining like the sun, you know, and glory starts coming out of his body. They see it there, and and they have a response to that. Um, Their response is, is in Matthew chapter 17, uh, verse 6, but they have this response, and it's like, whoa, I, I'm in a holy place. It's very interesting when you look at those uh, depictions in the scripture. But Jacob here in our story, he knows that he is in the presence of the Lord, so he has fear. What does he do when he wakes up? He builds a little monument, takes the stone, and he sets it upright, pours oil on it, and then he names the place Bethel, or the house of God. So the stone serves as a a reminder to Jacob. And we're going to see stones and altars and things as we move through the uh, book of Genesis. But just as it was just a monument to remember something. And really important for you as a believer to, to have a monument. We have, you know, digital monument builders right in our pockets. You know, we just take a picture. I was looking at slides. That was the monuments of the 40 years ago, slides. These people, they didn't have camera, cameras or cell phones. They, had, they would put rocks, stack, stack up rocks. And that was their, they would build a monument so they would remember what God was done. In this case, God has shown Jacob something special. He's had this encounter with God and God showed him that. He'll always remember this ladder, believe me. He's going to remember that ladder over and over in his lifetime. This experience was God's mercy reaching into his life, reminding him of the covenant that that God had made with his grandfather, Abraham. So Jacob, he falls down and he worships the Lord. Now, in verse 20, and my, I think this is my last point, but Jacob vows to serve the Lord here. Notice in verse 20, Jacob made a vow at that rock after he names the place Bethel. And he says, if God will be with me, And keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord can be my God. Wait a minute. Doesn't that sound interesting? Doesn't that sound a little con, a little manipulation? Listen, if God is going to be with me and and, uh, keep me in the way and protect me and, and give me food to eat, as long as he gives me clothes so that I can come back to my father's house, hmm, that's good enough for me. And then notice verse 22, and this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give you tenth. I'll repay you, God. I mean, think about what he's saying here. Even though he's had this encounter with God, this just shows you how how. how unspiritual this man is. He's got a long road ahead of him. God's going to teach him a lot of things here in his lifetime. He's making a a deal with God. God, if you'll feed me, if you'll take care of me, clothe me, I'll pay you back. I'll give you a tenth, God. 
Wow. Again, he's not trusting God. He's not walking by faith. That's, that's the point. He's going to become a man that walks by faith. He's going to learn, but, but we're to see him in his, his early stages in his spiritual life here. God has promised him everything, and yet Mr. Con Man here is making deals with God. I'll come back. To, if I get to come back to my father's house, then, then you can be my God, he says there in verse 21. So again, the story reveals that God is working in this con man's life. God is working in this manipulator's life. And he's going to teach him all about submission and walking by faith. At this point, we don't really see it. But we're going to see it. And many of you know the story. He's going to go to Uncle Laban's house. And Uncle Laban is going to pull a fast one on him. He's, and, and he's going to pay time, time. He's going to be there a long time. Again, God is teaching him. He's going to teach him those things. Now, in closing, let me, just, let me just show you the difference between the promise of God and then Jacob's just teeny little, you know, minuscule spiritual promise here. Number one, God's promise. Look with me at verse 13 real quick. This is just real fast. Verse 13, God says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. So he comes to him and says, I am God. Verse, the end of verse 13, I will give you and your descendants. Verse 15, God says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And then the end of verse 15, I will not leave you until you've done what I've spoken to you. Now, go to Jacob's vow in verse 20. If God will be with me and keep me, if God will keep me going, and if God will give me bread, and if God will feed me and clothe me, so that I can come back to my father's house, God's promises are unconditional, like his love for you and me. Jacob's promises had conditions everywhere. If you feed me, if you clothe me, if you do this and this, I'll be, you know, it reminds me of some of the, the health and wealth doctrine that's out there. That God is going to, he's obligated because I have faith, he's obligated to do this for me and do that for me. That is, is such a twisted view of the scriptures. My love for the Lord, it has to be unconditional. His love for me is unconditional. I can't put conditions on Almighty God. Think about that. So this just proves where Jacob was coming from. At home, from his mom, Rebecca, he had learned to manipulate. He had learned to, to scheme and, and work his lies. That's what he learned. So now God is going to change him. Even though he's still trying to make a deal, there's no comment here that God says, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, wait a minute, buster. You don't know who you're talking to. There's none of that here. Again, what we see is the grace of God. We see God's mercy. God's going to develop him over time. We know that, you know, because many of us know the story. But God doesn't just bust him. God doesn't say, wait a minute. God is going to work through him in a gracious and merciful way. Why? To shape Jacob into the man he wants him to be. And there's hope for you and I. We stumble, we fail, we're growing. But God is going to make us into the man and the woman of God that he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the word tonight. These historical narratives, these stories, Lord, that we read really do reveal much. And I just pray, Lord, as we week by week go through your word, as we commit to it and study it, Lord, that you would continue to reveal these wonderful truths to us. 
How grateful we are to be your children. How, how wonderful it is to know that, that the ladder, the bridge, that Jesus is, is our provision for holiness, for salvation. I'm so grateful for that, Lord, and I, I see that in this story. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you've done as we move into this next week and we come closer to Easter holiday, holy day. It's, uh, we want to worship you in spirit and truth. We want to thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done. And throughout the scripture, we see it declared, the coming seed, the coming Messiah, the coming anointed one who would bear the sins of the world. We see it here in this story. Lord, I, I'm so grateful for this wonderful thread of redemption we see throughout the Bible. So continue to teach us much as we, your children, Lord, want to grow through the hardships, through the difficulties, but grow nonetheless to be men and women that will glorify you for your honor and for your good name. In Jesus we pray, amen.